Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, sports fans. Uh, we're, before we get started here in the book of Philemon, which you should go ahead and find on your, in your Bible or on your iPad or whatever you follow along. And if you don't have one, why, shame on you, because we're going to get you later on. Um, two or three things that, you, that we need to bring to your attention. First of all, I mentioned a few couple of weeks ago that I wish you would pray for uh, Charlie Russell. Charlie, <clears throat> 24, 25-year-old boy with COVID, and he was in intensive care. Bob Russell's grandson, Bob, was a retired preacher at the big old church down in Louisville, <clears throat> and he asked us to pray for him, and we called, and he's much better, And but the doctor said it's going to take a while for a complete recovery. So I wanted to update you on that. I wanted to tell you that the devotionals are the new devotionals are here for September, October, and November, and I really hope that you'll take them and use them because those devotionals, when we take them together and use them together, has a tendency to help us all be kind of on the same page and and can share things together as a congregation. Uh, the other thing I wanted to do was to keep you updated as often as possible on what's going on in Uganda. People have asked me, have you heard from Patrick and Eddie? And I said, yes, I have. And then Patrick sent us several pictures we're going to share with you in a minute. Some of you probably know that <clears throat> Patrick has a girlfriend and they're hoping to get married here when he, had, he took some rings back with him. And I asked, and Eddie called and I said, Eddie, has Patrick seen his girlfriend yet and his response was is the Pope Catholic <laughs> so I think you get the picture of what's going on there already and uh, so but uh, Uncle Alex the guy Alex Metalla who ran a Good Samaritan Children's Home and Schools where Patrick and Eddie grew up and I had agreed that we didn't want to do much uh, as far as the new construction so on uh, of what will be CCC Uganda until they were back there and could participate because they really hope that what they're doing in this village will just be the first of many to follow. And so it was our agreement that whatever went on there, we would kind of hold off until they got there so they would know how to do everything because he's like I am. He's 66 and, and the life expectancy in Africa is not as good as it is here because uh, I've got him by a couple of years. But we had agreed that that's the process. And so we've got some pictures that we would like to show you that Patrick sent us this week. Uh, we had given the money for them. I'd already sent the money to them to for the water well and this is the water well being dug now. And by, by today, it's already done and capped, and, and they're getting water from it. <clears throat> you have to get a geologist that comes. And then this is the four-plus acres that we own that they're there 
cleaning off the trees and everything now to get it in preparation for what will eventually be construction. So you can see, if you look in the background, you can see the kind of foliage that was there. Most of it were banana trees, and, uh, and so they had, unfortunately, had to get out of the way in order to prepare the ground for construction. Patrick and Eddie are standing there trying to make you think they know what's going on. <laughs> the truth of the matter is they have the foggiest idea, but they're quick learners and they'll be fine. That's, you can see the banana trees better in the background there because uh, you can see the setup. And, uh, and then one that you've probably already seen uh, was this one. Patrick is cooking. He's got enough meat there to feed about a dozen people. And that's probably what's going on. I don't have, um, because uh, they grew up with about a dozen other young men who are just the same quality of young men as Patrick and Eddie, and I'm pretty certain they're having a, a party. And since the kids that live there don't have a pot to put under their bed, why Patrick and Eddie, I know, paid for the meat, and they're having a little party for them. But that's where they are right now anyway. Patrick and Eddie have agreed that they'll continue to send us pictures to update so you all know where they are and what's going on as it, as it happens there. Um, now then, it's time for you, if you haven't already done it, to look in your Bible at the book of Philemon. Now let's talk about it before we read any. Philemon uh, lived in Colossae. As you know, we just finished the book of Colossians, which was sent to the churches there uh, in Colossae, then it's to be scattered out. But this is a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul, who is still in prison in Rome. And he's writing as a, to, for a fellow by the name of Philemon, because the Apostle Paul had never been to Colossae. That's one of the places he, he hopes to get there, but he'd never been there. So he writes to this fellow, Philemon. Now, a lot of people with the best of intentions, think that the book of Philemon was written for the singular purpose of addressing the slavery problem. That simply isn't true. It had nothing to do uh, with trying to end slavery. That had, and, and even to mention that would have endangered your life in Rome because 60% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. This had nothing to do with race or skin color because most of the slaves there were not, were, were white people. Uh, they were, uh, if, if for instance, I owed William, say, $5,000 and I had no way of repaying him, what I, I would do then is I would go to him and I would in, indenture myself to him and, and, and be a slave in his household or whatever he wanted me to do to help pay back what I owed him. And if and when that were ever paid back, he then was at liberty to set me free. We had something similar to that, believe it or not, in the United States before we ever had the, 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 the traditional slavery from Africa. And someday I'd like to be able to explain that whole situation too because I learned a lot from the Africans. Uh, slavery in Africa started 
by, uh, by Arabs. The Arab slave traders came to Uganda and uh, had a, a prosperous thing going there. And then when Christianity came to Uganda, it was sent by the um, Roman Catholic Church uh, missionaries to Uganda. They quickly, the, the population there quickly turned to Christ because the missionaries were opposed to slavery. And so the people found that attractive. And now today in Uganda, Christianity is essentially divided in this way. You have the Roman Catholic Church and you have the, and the other churches there that believe the Bible and only use the Bible are called born-again churches. And, and as of about two years ago, the percentage of the population that, that claimed to be members of the born-again churches were in excess of 50% of the population. So the, we have really good reason to believe that that country has a magnificent future. The ground is rich. They have, because it's located, the, the equator goes right through the country. They have two and a half growing seasons a year and have the capacity to feed their population plus other countries. It, 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 if, the, if the governments can ever cease to be uh, dictatorial and have the freedom that we uh, have had here traditionally that it has a magnificent future. The people are intelligent. They're willing to work hard. Uh, we've been treated with the utmost respect. Patrick and Eddie will have some difficulty readjusting. They, they're essentially Americans. They've been here for almost six years. It's been six years this coming December. And so they're going to have some difficulty uh, because, the way, because of the way several of you have treated them and been so loving and, and encouraging to them, it's going to be a tough thing to get back, you know, to, to traditional life in Uganda. So please continue to pray for them. It isn't going to be as easy as they probably think it is. But they're under a real good hand of Mr. Matala that we really respect and love as a brother in Christ. But the book of Philemon refused to address the subject of slavery as right or wrong. They just admitted what was. Now, they did have problems, and the Romans had had problems with slave uprisings from time to time, and they were terribly afraid of it. And as a result of that, whenever there was an uprising, they were really, really harsh and brutal when the, the people who caused it were finally captured. I don't know whether any of you, probably several of you have, seen the movie Spartacus. If you've seen the movie Spartacus, you will know because it's spelled out pretty clearly what happens to people who start a slave uprising. At the end of the movie that starred Kirk Douglas, you could see the highways, and this is pretty, pretty accurate. Uh, the highways were lined with crosses of the individuals who had participated in the slave uprising. So as a result of that, the intimidation and the brutality of the Roman Empire made it unwise for Christians at that time to do anything other than try to get people one in Jesus Christ, to one to Christ, and then to be one in Christ, and that and that 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 desire to see that everybody, regardless of whether you're a slave or free, black, white, woman, man, whatever, you are one in Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, down the road, that's the answer anyway. But at the time, if the Apostle Paul wrote the, the book of Philemon, that's what he was really addressing. For you see, 
a guy by the name of Onesimus. And his, the name Onesimus is played with here by the Apostle Paul. The word Onesimus literally translated into English simply means useful. And the Apostle Paul said uh, that I want to talk to you, Philemon, about useful. Because useful is now useless to you. Because he was a slave that stole some stuff from Philemon and ran to Rome. And while he was in Rome, for some way or another, he ran into the Apostle Paul. Paul led him to Christ. And Onesimus then became useful to Paul because he said, I want to stay here and help you, which he did. And now the Apostle Paul is writing a personal letter. He's still in prison. It's a household prison and that he actually had to pay for. Uh, and so he was chained to a, a Roman soldier every day, which he said was a good thing because he would try to convert the Roman soldier and the Roman soldier couldn't get away because they were chained to each other. So he saw that as a good opportunity and he even bragged about the, that, the fact that many of those who were now soldiers in the household of Caesar, he had led to Christ. So he, he saw every situation as an opportunity that had some good in it if you look for it. So he's, he has Onesimus, uh, a runaway slave, and he's sending him back to Philemon in the city of Colossae. And he's sending him back, and he's saying to Philemon, Philemon, I know that Onesimus belongs to you by law. I know, and, and he actually says it this way as, as one of those ifs that I keep telling you about. There are four ifs, and you need to know which one it is in order to have a clear picture. He said, and if he has stolen from anything from you, which was an admission that he has, whatever he has stolen, you put that on my account, I'll pay it back. So, okay, he's saying now anything that's stolen is taken care of, and now he... Uh, who has been useless to you because he's been a runaway, is now coming back and he can be useful to you. But this time, he's coming back not just as a slave, but he's coming back as a brother in Christ. And I would prefer that you receive him, not, even though Paul says, I have the authority because you're a Christian and I'm a Christian and I'm an apostle and you're not. I have the authority to demand that you do it. But I don't want to do that. I want you to receive him back from the heart as a brother in Christ. So that when you sit at the communion table, there's no difference in slave or slave owner or bond or free, whatever, because that's mentioned all through the New Testament. But you sit there with one Lord and both of you are equal in the sight of that one Lord. So he writes back to, and he's saying, I want your receiving of him. He uses the word spontaneous. He, he uses these two terms. I want it to be spontaneous, coming from your heart, and not forced, simply because I have the authority to tell you what to do. I want you, in verse 16, he says, receive him no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And so the Apostle Paul is sending this guy back, and his desire is that, when they sit together at the, at some in, in, in somebody's home, and this home is mentioned here, when you sit there and you have your common meal and you eat and you take communion together, there's no difference in you. And, and, and that would be difficult for a slave, for a guy who, who's been stolen from 
and who under the law had this guy indentured to him as a slave. See, we, we had indentured servants, as I mentioned, here in the United States. How that worked was similar to this. People in, in Western Europe primarily would want to come to America, but they had no money. But there were brokers in places like England and France and, and uh, uh, Belgium, other places there, who represented wealthy people here in the U.S. And the deal would be this. If you wanted to come to the U.S. and you had no money, the broker would pay you to come, and he, in turn, was paid back by someone here in the U.S. And that person in the U.S. would pay for their coming over and take care of them, and they usually, for seven years, had to work to pay off that, after which they were free uh, just to be citizens of the U.S. They were called indentured servants. That's separate from uh, the slavery situation that involved the African people uh, that has a horrible history. Now, Philemon uh, had a legitimate gripe if he wanted to take it. But the Apostle Paul is really saying, look, if you've got anybody to fuss at, you fuss at me and you accept Onesimus back into the, into the fellowship of the church as a brother in Christ. And, uh, and so that's, that's when you read through this, and I hope you'll start reading your text ahead of time because this will all make sense to you a lot better if you, if you read your text ahead of time. You can read the book of Philemon in less than five minutes. You know, I, I timed mine. It was like 3.45 seconds to read through the book, and so it, it doesn't take long, and I'm not a fast reader. So the, the subject here, uh, as, as a lot of people try to make it, is not slavery. The, the subject here is forgiveness. How, to, how can we deal with, obviously, you've been wronged under the law. How do you fix it? Now, the assumption of the New Testament is always this, and keep this in mind. The assumption of the New Testament is always we need to learn how to forgive each other because all of us are sinners on our best day. And as a result of that, we're sooner or later in any relationship, it's going to be fractured by somebody doing something stupid and wrong. And, uh, and so what he's saying here is, we need to learn how to fix that so that there's unity in the body of Christ. All through the Bible, actually, this subject of how we can have unity in the family of God is addressed from the Old Testament to the New. Um, if, you, if you were to take some time to study it, you, you would learn that. And so in dealing with the problem, and it is a problem, dealing with the problem of forgiveness, let's assume... You know, the assumption in the Bible is sooner or later, everybody has to deal with that subject. You know, when we get married, we have a tendency just to have rosy eyes and we look at this good looking girl with a classy chassis and we think, man, this is going to be wonderful. And it is usually for a month or two. At which time somebody does something that the other one doesn't like. Because you've got two individuals, both of whom are sinners, both of whom are to some degree selfish. And then the blend of that together is ultimately going to cause, sooner or later, it's going to cause friction. 
And then the problem is, how do we resolve that? Because the Bible is very clear about the resolution of forgiveness. I don't know, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can remember, I don't know about many of you who are married, but I was pretty naive about that when we got married. And uh, I thought, you know, she's smart, she's pretty. I thought they had money. I was wrong about that, too. And, you know, I thought, this is really a good deal. And, um, and it turned out to be a good deal, but nothing like what I had anticipated. It was totally different. And, uh, and did we have trouble? And we still do. She still hasn't learned to keep her opinions to herself. And, and, and anyway, so that's going to happen. That's going to, I don't care how good a Christian you are. Those differences are going to be there and should be anticipated and expected. And there should be a way, and we should do this in premarital counseling in preparing people for these differences that are going to come because at that state in mind, men have nothing in mind except sex and the women have nothing in mind except thinking this guy here can provide enough money that I can build my nest and have my babies and so on and so forth. Everything's going to be happily ever after. Both are dreamers. And, and the result of that, needs we need to learn how to deal with it because we haven't. And the forgiveness that the Bible teaches, we, we've not learned how to handle very right. Do you, how many of you all believe that there should be limits to forgiveness? How many of you? Let me actually see your hand. Do you, should there be limits to forgiveness or should forgiveness be unlimited? Should it deal with anything? If you believe that forgiveness should have no limits, absolutely no limits, lift your hand. I want to see. Absolutely no limits. Okay, here's the deal. Anybody who held up their hand has to double your tithe because you're absolutely wrong. There are limits to forgiveness, but in the church, only in the church. Because the assumption is that even in the church, because you're going to have new converts coming in, you're going to have people at different levels of maturity, there are going to be differences. And we need to learn how to do it. And the Bible actually, in the book of Matthew, uh, in the, if you look at it here in the 18th chapter, he actually talks about those differences, starting at verse 15. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, and this is maybe he will, maybe he won't, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Don't make a big deal out of it. If he listens to you, maybe he will, maybe he won't, you will have won your brother over. But if he will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, the Old Testament and our legal system here adopted it. The Old Testament says you can never make a charge against anybody unless there are two or three witnesses. And within the church, the New Testament says you should never accept, you should never accept an accusation against the leader of your church without two or three witnesses. In other words, you stay away from that, and uh, even though we violate it on a routine basis, it's, it's a sin. And he said, if he refuses, if you've gone to him, now you go to him with two or three witnesses, and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treating as you would treat a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, Christians are expected to live at a different standard than people in the world. We're expected 
to be willing to resolve all of our differences so that Christ will be honored by the very existence of the church. It kind of pains me to talk about it, but you all need to know it. When our church split took place here, Pat Apel went to those who left and, and asked if we could sit together and, and resolve the differences and get it, and they refused to listen and sent him back home. But you need to know that the effort was made and it, and it didn't work because it's the right thing to do. The whole city and much of the county were aware of the way Christians were behaving toward each other and the damage that was done for the cause of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, I've mentioned this concept of learning to get along with each other when we have differences. If you remember in the book of Job, Job was mad at God, and he was also mad at his friends who kept rubbing it in on him. And, and so Job cried out. He said, if we just had someone, just someone, to arbitrate between me and God, we've got differences here. He took my whole family, and I'm mad at him. I shouldn't be treated that way, blah, blah, blah. These differences were there. And he said, if I just had somebody who was in touch with God and someone who is in touch with me that we both respected, who would be a go-between and bring us back together, it would be, it would be wonderful. And, and he actually says that in verse 38. He said, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hands upon both of us, someone to remove God's rod from me so that this terror and frighten me no more. In other words, he was upset with God. And we all have been at one time or another. So this principle of uniting, of accepting the fact that there are going to be differences and that there should be a, 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 a system of reconciliation. And that's what the book of Philemon is really all about. How to get them back together is what's being addressed here. And that's several places in the New Testament. You see, what the Apostle Paul said that he was doing for Onesimus, the slave runaway, and for Philemon, who was under the law his owner, what he said, I'm, what I'm doing for you all is what Christ has done for me. I was separated from God. I was a sinner out here who thought I had it all together. But under the law, I was a sinner. I had violated the law, even though I tried. And, here, and, so, and here's God, and we're separated. Even uses the term dead in our sins. Now, you know what the word thanatos or death means, don't you? It means separated. So God and I are separated, the Apostle Paul is saying. And we needed to be brought back together. And I didn't know what to do. So God, in his mercy, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, who was constantly in touch with the Father, and who, was in, who came in the flesh to identify with us, who was identified with both of us, what he did is he died on the cross and made it and paid for our sins so that we could come back into the presence of God. And so this principle of being reconciled where there are differences is addressed all through the New Testament, all through it. And so that's what, the, that's what he's addressing here. And, and, and the great uh, prophet Isaiah actually said, this is what Christ is going to do. He prophesied that exactly what he was going to do way back in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. If you look down at verse 
12, it says this, Therefore, I give him <coughs> excuse me, a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. That's when it took Jesus' clothes and, and shot craps to see who got them. Because he poured out life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. That's the two thieves. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Intercession is a what? A go-between, an arbitrator who can speak to each of us and, and, and are respected by both to bring us back so that there's unity in the body of Christ. The church is such, can, it, where there's unity in the body of Christ, it's such a beautiful thing. It's so beautiful that the Apostle Paul described it as the bride of Christ. Is there anything more beautiful in the eyes of a groom than the bride? You know? And, and so you, that's, that's what he's trying to say. That's why, this is a personal thing, that's why I personally like congregational singing as a, in, and not just what takes place on the platform. I've always seen as what takes place on the platform is a poor imitation of a rock concert. But when there is congregational singing, we're all participating and offering our praise to the Lord. And so I've, I've all theologically had in my mind, that's the right way to go, and we probably should never have deviated from it. But we all make mistakes, and that's probably one of them we'll see, I guess. But that's why I keep pushing congregational singing. When the congregation becomes the choir, really, and the song leader becomes the choir director. And I've, I've been in services that the, the singing is so beautiful and warm that hearts are touched even before the sermon is preached. So don't underestimate its value because beautiful music is the seedbed for gospel preaching. It really truly is. Now, the Apostle Paul said that if you guys, if Onesimus, if you go back home, and Philemon, if you will receive him as a brother in Christ, you'll cause me to have, he uses this term in verse 7, joy and encouragement. You'll create joy in my heart, and I'll be encouraged in my ministry to carry on what I'm doing. I, I can tell you this. In the family, there's nothing more wonderful than for the parents to see their children loving each other and communicating with each other and getting along well with each other. That's the most heartwarming thing for, for, for parents that there is. The Apostle Paul saw himself as, the, as one of the parents in, in the kingdom of God. Because you see, those guys had great authority. Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he passed that authority out to the, to the twelve, the apostles. For them to have in, in, in overseeing the church. Now, they were held to a higher standard. So were we, held to a higher standard. I don't think most people today realize the authority that Christ has given the leadership of the church. It's substantial. It's substantial. But in this day and age where we think, you know, uh, and actually there's, if anything, a little bit of antagonism toward authority of any kind, whether it's police or parents or whatever it is. There's, there's, there's some uh, ants there that's for certain. And, uh, so he's saying, he's saying that I, I, one of the th joys of being an old guy and watching your family is, and especially when there is good communication and they're encouraging each other, it does happen occasionally. 
not very often, but occasionally it does. It's a real joy to just sit back. When our kids, they haven't been here for well, they were the last Christmas, when they get together and sit down around the table, it's really a lot of fun for everybody but me. Because you know who they pick on? They start telling stories about the old man. And they don't want me to tell stories about them, so I tell them here in church. You know, get, get evens or bad. So, but but uh, other day, it was Greg's, our oldest son, 62. He was 62 on the 19th of August. I like to aggravate my wife. We were, we were married on the 9th of August, and he was born on the 19th. And if you just kind of let that slide without saying it was a year later, well, it gets to be kind of fun, and she gets uncomfortable. And then uh, if you look at her right now, you'll see her standing back there with her hands on her hips ready to get even with me. So lunch will be interesting today. But, that, but he, he, what he's saying is it is a joy. It's a joy for the overseers to see unity and enjoyment among God's people where they jump in you know Peggy was saying that she needed what a a new bathroom floor she was about to go through the floor I guess anyway and and so, so a bunch of guys go down there and put her in a new bathroom floor they didn't want anything they just did it because they love her and she's a sister in Christ you see that kind of thing from my standpoint brings real joy that's exciting to see I mean it did it just because it honored Christ and we love each other. And, and then if you get that kind of atmosphere among God's people, and then when they come together to sing and they lift the, ro- lift the roof with their voices, I'm telling you, sinners will press into the kingdom of God. You just bring them and it will happen, I promise you. And that's what this is all about. But he's saying, and if you look at it carefully, if you go back to that 18th chapter, of the, uh, of the book of Matthew, he says, but there's a big difference in verbal forgiveness and heart forgiveness. We have a tendency when we bring people together a different one of the, oh, it's all right, I forgive you. They don't. It's just talk. He's saying, I don't want Onesimus, you and Philemon, to just come together because I tell you you should and say, I forgive you. I want you to come together because in your heart you know that that's the right thing to do and you will love each other regardless of the differences that you've had in the past. And so he really pushes that. And and the Apostle Paul says here in verse 20, and my heart is refreshed whenever I see something like this happening. So you you need to realize that when when, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, this little brief little letter to the, to the church leader in uh, in Colossae, a guy by the name of Philemon, that he wanted this letter then shared with the other churches, at least in that community, because there were at least three churches on the Lycus Valley. Everybody, all the gather, all the settlements were always on a river or a creek or something, because everybody has to have water, right? And so that's where, and these were on the Lycus River, and it was, uh, uh, all, all of these are, are mentioned here at, at Colossae, and, and it's not that far really from Ephesus and Heropolis and, uh, and a few other cities that are mentioned in, in the, book of, uh, uh, the, the book of Revelation. So he said, I want, you, I want this all to come together on the basis of love. That's the term he uses here in verse 9. Yet I appeal to you, to Philemon, on the basis of love. 
I'm an old guy, he said, and I want to see this come together because it's the right thing to do. And uh, so he said, I love Onesimus, and he's been useful to me, and I want him to be useful to you. Now, folks, doing what I'm saying that Paul asked Philemon and Onesimus to do, because Onesimus was going to go back with fear in his heart because Philemon actually had, under Roman law, the legal right to kill him the minute he showed up. And he's saying, no, you don't do that. You receive him as your equal and a brother in Christ, even though legally he's a slave. That's what he's asking him to do. And he knows it isn't easy. And so he, he said, and by the way, if he owes you anything, and he does, because he stole from you in order to get the resources to run away, if he owes you anything, the Apostle Paul said, put it to my account, I'll pay it. Whatever that amounted to. Put it on, charge it to me. I want him to come back to you without owing you anything. You see what Paul was doing? He was putting his hand on Philemon and his hand on Onesimus. And he was acting as a peacemaker. Jesus said, in the, when you look carefully there in the sixth chapter of Matthew, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. The peacemaker is that guy who stands in between with hands on both and tries to bring them back together. That's what Job prayed for. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Paul is doing between Onesimus and Philemon. And that's what he's asking us to do whenever there are differences. You may not have thought of this, but marriage counseling, for those of us who get involved in that kind of stuff, we're exactly doing the same thing. Here's, the, here's a wife that's ticked off on a, on a stupid husband or a stupid husband who's ticked off on a, on a stupid wife and they're both stupids come together and then we have to get just two stupids not to be stupid and to love each other and to treat each other right again. We're that peacemaker. That, and, and that has to happen. Parents do it between their children. And I've had to do it at times between people who joint own businesses Joint-owned businesses last less than three years on a regular basis. Up to about 75% of them fail within three or four years because they don't get along with each other. What we need to understand is that somebody said, well, I just can't do that. I despise them. Yes, you can. And here's why. You don't have to rely on your own resources in order to get reconciliation and resolution. You don't. For you see, now that you're a Christian, you actually not only have the Holy Spirit within you and the Word of God at your hand and brothers and sisters of Christ around you, you also have something that's wonderful because if you've been, if you've been any way isolated from God because of sin, you need, even though you're a Christian, because sooner or later... Every one of us who wear the name of Christ goof up. We all do. And it makes no difference who you are. You're going to slip on, your, on the maturing process of growing in Christ. You're going to do that. Because we're, we're selfish by nature and we revert back to that on occasion and it gets us into trouble. And so what we have is Jesus 
didn't leave us, as he said, as orphans. I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you out, to strengthen you and guide you along. But I'm not going to sit down. Well, yes, I am. He said, I'm not going to quit on you either. So what is Christ doing right now for you and for me, and especially for those who are struggling with relationship problems? You have to go on over next Uh, Right next to the book of Philemon is the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews actually addresses this problem of of what is Christ doing to help us now. If you look in the seventh chapter, he says something here that all of us need to get straight in our minds. Uh, In verse 25, here's what it says. Therefore, and that means the Apostle Paul had some participation in writing this book. Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, is able to save us completely. Now, you should underline or circle that word completely. When you're saved, you're not partially saved. You're not partially forgiven. You've been totally forgiven and come under the blood of Jesus Christ. You are completely forgiven. Therefore, you can know beyond all reasonable doubt that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Get that square in your head. He saves completely. See, the churches through the years have done some stupid things and said, well, you're just partially saved, so we invented a thing called purgatory where you, you, where you can go when you die and the rest of your evilness will be purged. That's why it's called purgatory, purgatory. Get that out of you, and then you can finally go to heaven. Or for an unbaptized baby, there's a, there's a term there that's used as well. But that's not biblical. The Bible says when you give your life to Christ, who is your intercessor to the Father, and the, and the one who is empowered to put his Holy Spirit in you, when that happens, when that happens, you have the capacity of growing in your faith to the place where actually people can see Christ in you. And that's the goal. Nothing short of that. That's the ultimate goal. You have to read your Bible and pray and, and, and be a faithful servant in the kingdom of God, and that's going to happen to you. He said, those who come to God through Christ, because he always lives, get this, to intercede for us. So we have Christ who died on the cross, went to, the, uh, went to, to, to paradise and took those folks right into heaven with him, and, and then... Then he came in and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and his job there that he volunteers to do is to speak as, an, as a go-between between us who have, he came in the flesh, we're in the flesh, he, with his hand on us, and access to the Father, and he continues to speak on our behalf. Man, that's a good deal. And you have it simply because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's an insurance policy that everybody needs to have. And it's, it's clear that that's exactly what he does. He's an intercessor. If you go to the ninth chapter, <coughs> verse 15, he reiterates it in a different way. He says, for this reason, Christ is a mediator of the new covenant. What does that mean? It means that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is is set aside because the testator, meaning Jesus, died 
They, and, and that old will has been probated and it's laid aside and becomes a historical document to help us understand the new. And Christ, and we're under the new covenant, the, the new will that God has given us. And it's a, it's a will that says you don't have to do all the things under the law. You have to put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. So you're saved by faith and not works. So you put your faith in Christ, and, and when you do that, then he becomes that arbitrator, that mediator, that go-between between God and us, and speaks to God on our behalf. That's why it's called good news. And I don't know any better news than I could bring anybody than that. And that's exactly what he says. And he says this, and, and the result of that is promised eternal inheritance. That's what's promised to you. You're not promised temporary life except here on earth. In the kingdom of God, you have the promise of eternal life. Now, to say that I can picture that so that you'd understand it, or I can completely understand it, would be a lie. I, I can't. But I can tell you this, that the Bible says, ear hasn't seen, eye hasn't heard, neither has it entered in the mind of man. The beautiful, good things that God has in store for us when we come into His presence, because we are not capable in our human form of understanding what we inherit in Christ Jesus. It's beyond, it is beautiful and good beyond our understanding. And within this kingdom of God, he expects us to set as our priority to keep the unity of the body of Christ by whatever it takes. By whatever it takes. And the Apostle Paul actually says something that I think is kind of neat. Here at the end, he says to, uh, to Philemon in verse 22, And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you uh, in answer to your prayers. I'm, in other words, I'm coming to see you, and I want a hug. That's really what he said. You know, the Catholic Church does some things that I think is kind of neat. As a part of their service, they actually have a time for hugging. I've always been skeptical of that because I have a preacher friend who said he had one too many hugs. And, and so I, I've been especially sensitive to that. And so he ended up in a motel room with the huggy and the hugger. And, and, and so I've always been worried about that. But there's a, um, there's a tradition in the church. It's not in the Bible. It's a tradition in church history, and I don't know whether it ever be uh, verified or not. But tradition says that when Onesimus went, went back to Colossae, he was received by Philemon as a brother in Christ. And Onesimus was so respected that the day came when he was a bishop in the body of Christ. And that the guy who owned him by the name of Philemon would come to him to receive communion, the blood and the body of Christ. They were so one in Christ that they let nothing separate them. That's the beauty of the work of the Holy Spirit and the efforts of humans to build a church that its very existence and the way people live and treat each other testify to who God really is, a God of grace and mercy and peace. I'm through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your word. 
and we can trust in it, and you help us through your Holy Spirit to understand it. You give some of us the opportunity to study and to learn and, and to be able to make it as clear as we possibly can so people can understand how much you love us and how much you expect from us. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus as an intercessor, as an arbitrator, as a mediator between us and you. And thank you, Father, that what he did on the cross makes it possible for us to address you as our Father who art in heaven. Thank you for listening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.